And uh, I probably have more notes on the book of Ruth tonight than what I've done on uh, some of the bigger books that we've gone through so far. It's a beautiful story of love, loyalty, kindness, and redemption. We already saw that there are three main characters mentioned in the book. Naomi, she, um, she and her husband left the land where God called his people to and went to Moab. As they went to Moab, there was a famine. They went to Moab thinking that things might get better. But never do we see in the Bible ever a good for God's children to leave where God's called them to be and to go to the land of their enemies and those that are different than them. Abraham did the same thing. He went down to Egypt, something that never should have happened. And so Naomi, we see her in the story. She's a wife, she's a widow, and she's Ruth's mother-in-law. We see Ruth, not an Israelite, a Moabite, daughter-in-law to Naomi. And we see great things unfold in her life through these, these, these four chapters. We see Boaz mentioned here. And Boaz was a wealthy Israeli farmer, and he was the kinsman redeemer that the family needed. And he ended up saving Ruth and Naomi. As we go through, you say, who wrote the book of Ruth? It doesn't tell us who wrote the book of Ruth. Jewish tradition says that Samuel's the one who wrote it. Is that true? I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what Jewish tradition says. But we know this. Somebody wrote it, and God, he's the ultimate writer of the Bible, so we know God penned these words, and they're for us. This book covers, the book of Ruth covers about 10 years, and this story happened somewhere during the time of the judges. We see that from the very first verse. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So we know the setting of the story here is during the time of the judges. And we looked at last week the chaos and the craziness of what was going on in um, Israel during the time of the judges. And when we look at this, I titled Ruth, God Turns Tragedies into Triumphs. Some people have also called the book of Ruth a small book of Job. Because you look at what happened to Job and all that he lost, and you see all that God gave him in the end, and basically you see it's the same sort of thing happened in the book of Ruth, just we only have four chapters that go into the detail of all of these things. Um, we see chapter number one, and we're going to read chapter number one. We're not going to read any other chapters. We'll read a few verses, but we're going to read chapter number one, and we'll go through here. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Melon and Chilion, Ephraimites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Abimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the other's name was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Melon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the women was left of her two sons and her husband. And when she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab now how 
that the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. You see, if they would have just stayed in Israel, God takes care of his children. They shouldn't have left to begin with. You say, well, would have God taken her husband and her children if she, went, if she didn't go down there? I don't know. That's not my place to try and figure out. We do know this, that God has a time that's time for all of us, and be it if that was their time to go, it doesn't matter if they were in Israel or if they were in Moab, that's God's time. And so you can look at that however you want to there. And it says, Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of her, um, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that he may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they left off their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return unto thee and unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there not yet more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have any husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would he tarry for them till they were grown? And we know the custom, how it would work. If, uh, if, a, if a family member in there and the wife is left, then if the mother has more children, that next son, we see it several times, that's how it would go. And Naomi's basically saying, I'm too old. And if I have a child, by the time he's old enough, you're going to wait all this time? She's like, there's no point in you going back with me. You have more to gain here than what you do sticking with me. Now, Naomi is very off in her thinking. And, but you got to also picture her and all that she's been through at this point. Because we could be hard on her, but look, she's lost her husband. She's lost her son. She feels like everything is hopeless. But when God is there, you still always have hope. Always have hope. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about, hope. And not magically later on does, you know, Ruth does magically, by chance she ends up in Boaz's vineyard or his field. No, God orchestrated that. God knew what was going to take place. And so we, um, we see these things and look at, um, let's read a little bit more here. And it says, go down to verse 16. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. And we see... Let's read the last couple of verses there. And so they went, so they two went unto the, and they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? The name Naomi means pleasant. You've ever seen someone where you've known them for a time and they go away for a while, they're gone, whatever the case may be. And the next time you see them, it's like, is that that same person? 
She'd been beaten down. Her husband had died. Her sons had died. In fact, you see there, um, she says in verse 20, and she said to them, call me not Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Elimelech decides to leave Bethlehem. He makes a mistake and leaves and takes his family and they go away from where God had them be to a land that they should never have gone to. Those sons, and one of the things, and we've read it in the book of Deuteronomy, we've read in other places, God did not want the children of Israel marrying the daughters of the heathen of the land. He didn't want them intermarrying. That was one of the things that God stressed to his people. So Elimelech and Naomi leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab. And the sons, what happens? They marry two Moabite women. That was never how God wanted it to be. And all three men died. Naomi decides, I'm going to go back home, tells the daughter-in-laws to stay there, and Orpah stays, but Ruth leaves with Naomi. Book, the outline of the book is very simple. There's not much to it, just a few points. Number one, we see days of tragedy. I believe you can see this found in all of chapter number one. Naomi came home empty, had experienced famine, her husband dies, sons marry local girls, non-Jews. The family bloodline will end. She has no one to support her anymore, and she has a hopeless future. We see in chapter number one, we see days of tragedy. Number two, we see um, the day Ruth is fed. The day that Ruth is fed. Now, look at chapter number 2, if you've got your Bibles there. And it says in verse number 1, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And so she went, and what she was doing was, those who struggled in society during those days... I want to give you a good biblical lesson right here. I know we're going through the books of the Bible, and that's what we're doing here. But I had someone at church ask me a couple weeks ago, what should we do with the homeless situation around us? And all these, because you look, you look in L.A. and around us, there's a homeless epidemic around us. How do you help people? What was God's design for all of that? Well, do you know God had a way for it to work? God never intended for government to take care of those things. He did not. 
I'm going to talk about this for a minute. You might not like it, but I don't care if you don't like it. It's the truth. Deuteronomy, turn there with me. Deuteronomy 24, and look down at verse number 19. How do we help the struggling sectors of society? What, what, was the, what were you supposed to do in Bible days? Look at Deuteronomy 24, and look down at verse number 19. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 19. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast for God a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thy hands. God's design for the fatherless, the widow, those who are struggling, was that when you would go in your field and you would collect your harvest and part of your harvest fell on the ground or you left part of it behind. You were not supposed to go back and pick it up for yourselves. But the fatherless, the widows, the poor could go through and pick up the leftovers that were left. That's how God designed it for them. Now, with, with Ruth and Boaz, what ends up happening is Boaz notices Ruth, and so he says, hey, to his workers, drop some extra on the ground. And she really got blessed through all that. But let me just say this. You notice it wasn't the government's job to take care of these things. Government does a terrible job as a charitable organization. And that is truth. It was the job of the families, New Testament, the job of the church, and the job of those who've been blessed to give to those who didn't have as much. And you also see that they had to go out and pick the stuff themselves. There is a Bible principle. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Now, you say, Pastor, that's kind of cold and heartless there. Widows, fatherless, we have physical health problems with people, and there are a lot that can't do a lot of these things. And this is what you got to understand. Sure, let's help them. But when it comes to our welfare system today, there are many well-abled people that do nothing. And if a man can't work, neither should he eat. Now, you might not want, that's what the Bible says. Now, I have respect I don't have respect for someone who could be out working and leeches off of everybody. That's me. I do have respect for a man that might not have much, but he's going through the trash cans, getting whatever cans and bottles he can to get some money. I have respect for that. And there are many times I do my best to get them a meal or do something. But we look, we have a big problem around us. And it's only growing. The other issue today, and this is not my message, I know, but the other issue that we have, not only, when I was a kid, we would go to the rescue mission. When I was a teenager, we'd go to the Emanuel Baptist Rescue Mission, where we go. It was a different place 20 years ago than what it is today. There, there are way more drugs and the prescriptions that some of these people are on and the things they get their hands on. It's totally different 
than how it used to be. And a lot of them have cell phones down there. It's a crazy thing. When you're in a rescue mission, they're saying, please turn your cell phone off for the service. They're living in a, and they have tents now. It used to be a bunch of, and cardboard boxes and all these things. But we do have a big problem on our hands. And government wants to figure out how to fix the problem. Government, this is the thing. Even in Bible days, it was not government's job to do everything. And this is what we do. And please don't get mad at me, okay? Please don't. Don't expect the government to take care of you. And don't vote in people who want, don't vote for people who want the government to take care of everything for you. I'll leave it like that. The recipe for civil disaster and for civilization to lose their heart of compassion is for people to do nothing and let the government take care of it all. And I'll leave it there. And maybe I didn't make it someone happy with that, but I'll stop. Point number three. We see days of tragedy. We see the day that Ruth is fed. We see number three, the day that Ruth is wed. A wedding takes place. Naomi has a plan to get Boaz to marry Ruth. And Ruth goes and she lays down at his feet. Now, something you've got to understand as you read through the book of Ruth, and for sake of time, I'm not going to be able to go through and explain it all to you. It might look kind of weird, the fact that she's going in when he's laying down at that area and laying at his feet. That was a custom of the day. And basically, she almost literally is asking him to, asking him to marry her. Now, anybody in the room, did the, wife, did the wife do the asking? Is there anybody that was that way? Erica, you were? You, you, you asked Felix? Yeah? <laughs> did, did you get down on one knee and ask him? No? No, you made him get down on one knee. And you said, say this. Did anyone? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to leave that there and just keep on going, Felix. <laughs> he got on two knees. I ask you not to leave. Also, it's an ultimatum. Marry me, or that's it. But she gets wed to Boaz. And one of the neatest things about this thing of the kinsman redeemer was, if you go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 25, it gives the background of it. And um, Deuteronomy chapter 25, and I'll just read those two verses for you. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 6. The Bible says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no children, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel." So what would happen is this, what would happen with this redeemer is if the husband died and he didn't have a son, the closest relative was supposed to marry that person to keep the family name going. So think about this, really at the end of the day, that first son, what did Boaz gain out of it? He didn't gain a whole lot. In fact, he was helping build someone else's name. And one of the things that you could see very clearly through the book of Ruth, and this is Old Testament, get me tonight, but you very clearly see a picture 
of Jesus Christ as our kinsman redeemer, willing to redeem us and to save us. And when we couldn't take care of ourselves, he bought us back, he redeemed us. Just as Boaz was going to redeem Ruth and change her life, Jesus did that for us. The only time we see in the Old Testament a kinsman redeemer is Boaz, one time. And do you realize something? There's only one kinsman redeemer of the New Testament. His name's Jesus Christ. Boaz is much older than Ruth. Christ said, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus is a lot older than his bride as well. Boaz acted out of love for Ruth, and Christ acts out of love for his church. In order to be a kinsman redeemer, it must be a relative. That's why Christ came in human flesh, so he could buy us back. This redeemer, this kinsman redeemer, must have been able to redeem. What it means is he must have had the means to do it. And Boaz had the means to redeem Ruth. Jesus Christ had the means and could pay the payment for our sins. That redeemer, that kinsman redeemer, he must be willing to do it. And other kinsmen weren't willing to pay the price. And in fact, you see there was one person that was even closer to Ruth who could have married her, and he didn't want her. But Boaz did it. Jesus was willing to pay the price. Ruth was a Gentile bride. Very beautiful picture of Jesus with his Gentiles. And if you're not a Jew tonight, you're a Gentile. The Redeemer did all the work. Ruth had no part other than reaching out in faith to request the gift of redemption. Boaz did everything for Ruth. Haven't we been talking about on Sunday mornings the fact that Jesus Christ did everything for us? So you see the kinsman redeemer, and I, to I told you as we go through the Old Testament, the Old Testament is like those old slides. Man, you need that projector to blow that slide up. If you pull out an old slide and just look at it, it's very hard to see. But if you put in a projector, it blows up and you see the whole thing. And that's how the Old Testament's like one of those little slides. The New Testament's the projector that lets you see the whole picture. And we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament these examples of Christ. And this, the book of Ruth, is a very clear example of this. We see as we break up the um, outline here, we see number one, days of tragedy. Number two, we see the day that Ruth is fed. We see number three, the day that Ruth is wed. And number four, we see days of triumph. Days of triumph. Chapter number four, verse number 11, the scripture tells us here, and it says, and all the people that were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses, the Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephraim, and be famous in Bethlehem. Let all the house be like unto the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord had given thee of his young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, she bare a son. The woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. 
And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a and nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath bore him. And Naomi took the child. You go from chapter number one where Naomi comes back. And people are like, is that Naomi? And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. The Almighty has been very, dealt very roughly with me. Look at what's happened to my life. And then we see in chapter number four, there was a Redeemer. Ruth has a son. And that son is Naomi's grandson. And you see there in those verses, you see the fact that that son's name was Obed. And Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son whose name was David. And you see throughout all of this that God takes an awful situation and he brings Ruth herself into the lineage of Jesus Christ. One of the few women mentioned in the line of Christ. What a picture it is of God's redemption, restoration of a very unlikely person. God is in the business of turning tragedies into triumphs. How does God do that? I always have an application for you, and here's the application. will be done. Number one, how does God turn tragedies into triumphs? How does he do it? Number one, through other humans. God used Boaz. Boaz wasn't planning to do this, wasn't actually the one responsible, wasn't looking to help, but God used him to help in the situation and brought triumph in the midst of tragedy. Well, what, how could I help others? Do what you can. You see, with Boaz, we go through a list of things. One of the things he did was he helped her with food. Then he took her as his own, and he went above and beyond. He said, well, what can I do today? How can I help people turn from tragedy to triumph? How about you witness? How about you teach a children's class and teach young people about Christ and about his love for them? Why don't you find a job at the fall fair coming up? Get involved in ministry somewhere. Do whatever you can. Do something for someone else. That's where it begins. Think about it. Sometimes a text to someone who maybe misses church would be a nice thing to encourage them. Or a word of encouragement, a nice note, a small gift could make all the difference. Boaz, what did he do? He just dropped a little extra food for her at the beginning. I think that was an encouragement to Ruth as she was out there. Could you imagine just going to pick up the scrapes that are left? And wow, you go down this one row here and look at all that's on the ground. Just an encouragement. See, tonight, how does God turn tragedies and triumphs? He uses other humans. 
Let God use you. Number two, through his unseen hand. There's a song, and I don't know if we've ever sung it in our church. Some hymnals have it. I'm holding to the unseen hand. And throughout the whole entire story of the book of Ruth, we see the fact that God knew what was going on the whole entire time. God's sovereign plan does not always make sense. Now, let me help you with something and see if I can word this in a way to help you understand it as we go through. I've had people tell me, and we've talked about the fact that we know that God, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I also said how God has a plan for our lives. And we talk about predestination. We talk about these different words that we've talked about before. And Caroline and I were saying down after church, and she said one, a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, you may it sound like that, it, that God, God purposely chose certain events to happen in our life, and he allows those things, and it's God that did those things, but I don't think that's what you meant. I said, I think you were just sleeping through that part, and you just didn't get what I was really saying. But what you've got to understand is this. If God's perfect plan happened in this world, guess what would have happened? Adam and Eve never would have sinned. God does not work with perfect people. He works with messed up people. I'm one of those messed up people, and you all are part of those messed up people. So this is what you got to remember. God has his will and a plan. Man has done its best for thousands of years to mess up God's plan over and over and over again. Someone asked me, well then, does that mean my parents got divorced? So you're saying it was God's plan to make me better, my parents getting divorced. I don't think it was God's plan that your parents got divorced. But God can take what happens in our lives and still use it and make things work together for good. That's what you got to remember. Because God gave man a free will, man sinned in the Garden of Eden, okay? Because of a free will, we choose what we do. So when we mess things up, when things don't look just right, and though things are not the way we would want them to be, or maybe not the way God wants them to be, God says, I can still take this situation and still make all these things work out. God's plan was never for Naomi and Elimelech to leave the promised land. Never was it his plan. They did. Was it God's will for the kids to die at that point there? That was probably their time to go. But was it God's plan for them to go there in Moab, or was it God's plan for them to go in Israel? Why would have been Israel? Elimelech and Naomi, don't do it God's way. So God says, okay, I can still work this out. We choose the things that we do. God is able to still make his plan work in the midst of the things that we do. So God might, you say, well, is it God's will that this happened in my life? I don't know. But I'll tell you this, God could take that decision, that bad decision that someone made, and God could say, I can use that to make you better. That's what you got to remember. 
It wasn't God's will. I've had someone ask me, was it God's will that someone molested me when I was a teenage girl? No. Why would that be God's will for anyone? If, that, if our God worked that way and it, his, it was his will for awful things to happen to us, what type of a God would he really be? Men choose what we do. But God can take a situation be like, that's awful. But I can still work it for good in your life. That's what God does. So don't blame God for your situations in life. A lot of times, we are to blame for the, where we get ourselves. Or in your past, it might have been a decision a parent made, a family member, whatever the case may be. But what you got to remember is the fact is that God's over it all. And in the midst of how could God allow, how could God be in the midst of this? God is working along all the way. Naomi, Ruth did not see God but God worked out all the details and made it all work. He works all things together for good to them that love God. And hopefully that makes sense to you. And if it doesn't, I'll have to explain it better some other time. We see how does God turn tragedies and triumph through other humans, number two, through his unseen hand. And then number three, through hard-to-understand circumstances. How does Ruth a Gentile, a Moabite woman, end up in the lineage of Christ. Think about this one with me. Go with me to Genesis chapter 19 real quick. Ruth is a Moabite. That's what the Bible says. How did the Moabites come into existence? Genesis chapter 19, look at verse number 33. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And when he perceived not when she laid down, nor when she rose, and it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in, and lie with him, that we may preserve seed in our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. Where did Naomi, not, I'm sorry, where did Ruth come from? Right there. That's where the Moabites came from. Say, so how, how in the world? I told you, God takes the mess-ups that we have and can still work things together for good. And he took a girl born in a heathen nation, an awful heathen nation, the Moabites, and God redeemed that girl and think about the faith that she had. She'd never been to Israel. Was Israel going to be very welcoming to a Moabite? No. But she said, Naomi, where you go, I'll go. And your God, I want to be my God. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die. Even in the midst of tragedy, God is at work. Just an ordinary family that God used for extraordinary purposes and prepared a nation for a king. 
David. And think about all of this. The book of Ruth, a story of tragedy to triumph, a story of death to life, a story of barrenness to fruitfulness, a story of emptiness to fullness, a story of curse to blessing, from bitter to sweet, living in exile outside of Canaan to producing the grandfather of the king of Israel. And what a God we serve. What a heavenly father we have. That even, you know, if it were me, sometimes I would just think, you are all too much trouble. All you do, if God just looked at me and said, I think he would get fed up with, if I were God and I was dealing with Brian Pattison, I would be fed up daily and I would just be done with him. But God is behind the scenes just making everything work. What a God we have. Don't ever lose sight of it. And yes, some bad things might come into your life. But remember something. God didn't make them go down to Moab. They chose to. But God took a bad decision and still made things work out. Because all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Father,